Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So, the industry minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, says he is ready to announce the initial commitments that he secured from grocers to stabilize prices in Canada. I'm curious to see what's going to be announced later today. I don't know what the timing is, um, but you, you, you remember, right? Last month, the government called on Canada's major grocers to all head to uh, Ottawa and come up with a plan to stabilize prices on food in this country by Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving is Sunday, so here we are. Um, and if they wouldn't or if they couldn't or if they didn't, they might face consequences which could include tax changes and, and all the rest, right? Well, he, he told, um, a conference hosted by the Competition Bureau in Ottawa today that an announcement will be coming later this afternoon. He has a news conference scheduled with Finance Minister Christian Freeland and Housing Minister Sean Fraser this afternoon. Grocery prices in August, uh, 6.9% higher than they were the August before. And you know what? That's good news because it was over 10% for a while. So, um, this is something that has affected all Canadians, right? There's, um, really nobody who gets out of this, uh, without feeling the effects of it. There's another story out today that shows, um, Canadians are choosing cost over nutrition. They're buying cheaper, um, less healthy foods than they would be simply because what the cost of food has become. And this is right across the board, right? It, this is the one, this is the one thing in the economy that nobody can escape. We all have to go to the grocery store. So when costs go up like they have there, everybody is affected. Um, you take a look at what's happening in other parts of the country, though, and it gets even worse. And you've probably seen the stories and you've probably seen the pictures on social media of what happens in northern Canada. I'm talking far north. Uh, none of it, you know, uh, places like that, remote northern communities and the price that they pay for food. And sometimes it is astronomical. Well, there are programs in place to try and help them with the cost, but are they? The conditions of these programs are, they're not to help retailers. They're to help the people that live there. But our next guest says, yeah, you know what? That's not coming through exactly the way that it's supposed to. Let's find out what's going on. We're going to speak with Nicholas Lee, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Economics at Toronto Metropolitan University. Uh, Nicholas, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Oh, hi, Shay. Thanks for having me. Happy to be with you. Yeah, so let's start just by talking about the situation in the North. I think most people know, and they've probably seen social media posts, but uh, for years and years and years now, the cost of food in Northern Canada has been absolutely astronomical in some cases, right? Yeah, so, you know, there's a, lots of studies, a lot of research has sort of shown that anywhere from two to three times higher prices, right? So everyone's kind of been sick of shock from the last year or two of high food prices, but we're nowhere near approaching what people in the north kind of face on a on a daily basis. Um, so yeah, the, the statistics are really staggering. And when you combine that with you know limited opportunities and, and certainly not everyone, but many people in these communities uh, are below the poverty line, you have a recipe for you know a very high levels of food insecurity um, and people just struggling. You know, this like day to day struggle to like afford to buy food takes up a lot of mental space for people. And you know, I think a lot of Canadians can increasingly relate to that, but 
you know, that's been a reality for, for a long time, of course. Yeah, it has. And I mean, and you know, in the PC role for the conversation, you, you quote a report saying that Northerners face higher rates of food insecurity. Like 50% of people living in the North are in what we call food insecurity, right? Where they're, they're having a really hard time actually just putting food on the table. Yeah, so those are the statistics for Nunavut, but it's also quite high in the territories. I mean, it's sort of maybe double the national rate. And, you know, it sort of varies by community, but it's, but it's, uh, it's a major issue, right? So the Canadian government, the federal government has had some policies to address that for a while. And so in our research, you know, we were kind of trying to really understand, um, are these policies working? Because, you know, the reasons why food is really expensive are complicated, right? It's not all the fault of the big bad retailers. Like it's very expensive to ship food up there, right? Anyone shipping food, you know, by air, right? And the communities we're studying are remote in the sense that they don't have year round surface transit, right? So, you know, most of our food comes on trucks. Maybe it comes from other, some of it comes by plane or by train or by boat at other times, but most of it makes it to our grocery store on trucks. And in the north, you know, basically, um, for most of the year, your only option is to fly things yeah. in, right? especially anything that's perishable. So we know the costs are astronomical, and there are government in places, uh, programs that are in place to try and help deal with that, correct? Right? What, what are the programs that are in place right now? Yeah, so there's a program that probably not many Canadians are familiar with, but I think you know, people in northern communities are, are very familiar with, called Nutrition North Canada. So this is a program that replaced a predecessor program that basically subsidized uh, food going through uh, Canada Post. And this program, which was introduced in 2011 by the Harper government, said, okay, you know, we're going to subsidize, you want to change the subsidy up. We think retailers are going to be more efficient at managing their own logistics and supply chain. Um, and also we want to shift the subsidy more towards what we think are nutritious foods. So the previous subsidy didn't matter if it was, you know, potato chips or flour yeah. or sugar, right? It was all, so under the current policy, which started in 2011, basically the government pays money to retailers for every kilogram of food they ship, provided that the food comes into certain categories, right? So they're basically paying cash for the retailers based on the volume of food shipped. And then the retailers are supposed to right. lower the cost of food by the same amount. That's, that's the key uh, condition, right? Yeah, like if they're yeah. if they're getting a dollar, if the retailer is getting a dollar from the government to ship the product, they take a dollar off the price that they're selling it for, right? Every penny is supposed to be passed along. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's the that's the in fact the retailers sign a you know they sign an agreement promising to do this, and you know interestingly there are some there are some. Let's say accountability mechanism built into the program, which is a good thing in a sense because the old program wasn't very transparent. So no one knew what the subsidies were. So now you kind of know what the subsidies are and how they've changed over time in each community. And there's some data collected on the prices. So the retailers who get the subsidy have to report some data to the government. And so that was the data that we used for our analysis. Yeah. We basically said, okay, well, we can figure out what's the cost of this bundle of groceries. Okay. And what's the subsidy content for this bundle of groceries and how has it changed over time? And, you know, suddenly the retailer's getting an extra $10 to ship this bundle of groceries. The cost of it should go down by $10 for the, you know, in the next period. And of course, that's not what we find. Yeah. What did you find? More like two thirds, right? Yeah. So we find that for every dollar that is being paid to the retailers, the, the prices that consumers are actually paying for these goods falls by about 67 cents okay. on average. Right, so you know, is the is the glass two thirds full or one third empty? Right. Well, I think yeah. you know, given the the problems, I mean, the the severity of the the food affordability problems in these communities, I think we should be 
concerned as, you know, as taxpayers and as just as human beings that a lot of this money is going to, uh, you know, retailers. And I think an important thing that, you know, to understand about retail in this context, right, is that, you know, Canadians are obviously familiar with the idea that grocery industry is probably pretty concentrated. Basically, we got the three big national grocery chains and you got like Walmart and Costco, but really those five companies have something like a 70 or 80% market share. But most Canadians have a choice of more than one grocery store. Now, in these communities, you know, the typical community has one and a half grocery stores, which means about half of the communities we're studying have a single retailer. It's literally a monopoly. There's yeah. nowhere else. You can no choice. And the other ones have, you know, two companies. So, you know, a much less competition than people are used to. And so, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. And, you know, economically, the idea that a company's costs go down and it will fully pass through that onto consumers, that applies under perfect competition, where basically there's, you know, razor-thin margins that have no room to go up or down. Uh, you know, that's not the case in this context, right? So the monopolies have a, monopolies have a lot of power to set prices, um, and it's kind of up to them. And so it's not unexpected in a sense that uh, you pay. You know, what we find in our study is that in the communities that have monopolies, so these are mostly in uh, northern Ontario and Manitoba, less so the communities in, in uh, Nunavut, the territories, because most of those, but not all, have two retailers. But in the monopoly communities, where typically there's sort of one retailer in northern Ontario, Manitoba, you find that in some cases as low as 26 cents on the dollar actually goes to consumer wow. prices. Right? So that's, that's really bad. So it says that this program works okay, and there's some leakage into retailer profits if you've got like two competitors. And in the many, in about half of the communities where there's a single retailer, it's like, you know, three quarters is sort of not going, showing up. It's not getting passed on to consumers. So that's very alarming. That's, yeah, that, no question. So what's the fix? What, what do we do, Nicholas? How can we close those loopholes or can we? It's a really difficult problem, right? Like, I don't think there's a magic bullet to solve affordability in the, in the, in Northern communities in general. But I do think that any policy that's going to try and subsidize, you know, food transport in this context, does have to take account of the realities that this is not a very competitive market. So subsidies that might have worked in some other places may not work very well. I mean, I think the short-term fix is um, even greater transparency. So at the moment, these companies have to report some prices of the product, like a subset of the products that are subsidized. About 40 of them, they got to report those to the government. And then the government compiles them and puts together once a quarter, you know, uh, the cost of a basket of groceries. My view is, you know, if you're taking, and just to put it in perspective for your viewers, like the total cost of this subsidy is maybe not that big in a Canadian federal contract, sure, but it's yeah. about $130 million a year now. So $130 million. So if retailers are literally receiving $130 million of subsidies, I think a minimum requirement should be that, like, the price of every subsidized good should be at least publicized. Right? So what does that do? It allows people like myself, but also advocates and members of these communities to sort of put uh, social and other pressure on the retailers, right? I mean, no retailers like bad PR. And a lot of them, they've been getting a lot of bad PR. That's why we, they were called to Ottawa. And there's a tremendous uncertainty or confusion about, you know, how much are their profits really going up? How much are they gouging up? How much is it that their wholesalers are getting? But I think greater transparency is yeah. not something that retailers should be hiding from if... If, if they aren't doing anything to be ashamed of. Exactly, right? And, and you know, of course... In a free market, we don't necessarily require that every company has to provide, you know, total transparency about all their business practices. But I think if you are taking large amounts of government subsidies, uh, I think that should be a requirement. So that's kind of a relatively yeah. easy fix because they're already doing some of this. Yeah. In the longer term, it's worth thinking about the form of the subsidy, right? Like the form of the subsidy is 
based on kind of an old, you know, colonial pattern, right? We're talking mainly indigenous communities. Many of these monopoly retail stores are literally the outgrowth of the Hudson Bay Company trading post. And, you know, the current system basically ensures that, you know, money flows into these communities and kind of flows out again through these retailers that are shipping imported goods. So there have been some promising changes in the program in recent years based on demand from local communities to provide, let's say, greater subsidies to uh, local uh, harvesting and gathering, right? So there is, there are local food sources. They are popular in these communities. And so there's now some amount of funding to sort of do that. Okay. And I think it's, you know, it's just worth thinking creatively about, yeah. you know, ways to maybe increase food sovereignty in these cases. I, I don't think we'll ever get there 100%, right? We're not going back to a world where sure. people in these communities are just going to eat purely a traditional diet. But I think money there may do more for sort of economic activity in the communities and, and, and may do more than, you know, I think we should get out of this mindset that the only way to deal with this problem is to sort of throw money at, at sort of southern-based retailers. At grocery stores. Food up there. Yeah, great. Yeah, it makes sense. It really does. Nicholas, really interesting. Uh, thanks so much for being here today. I appreciate it. 